Hello everyone, welcome back to Biomara. This is a weekly news show where we'll discuss some of the weird, strange, and just downright odd things that have happened in the art and history fields. I'm your host and personal curator, Amara Andrew. This week we're talking about an amazing art historical thrift store find. An entire ultra-rare dinosaur skeleton was found, and it's going to auction. And an IHOP at the center of a revolutionary war feud. Yes, it is a very juicy story, so get ready. That'll be at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. I guess I don't know why I'm saying this, but anywho, that is what you're in store for, so let's just get the hell to it. <laughs> I think I might just be in a rambly sort of mood today. So hello, welcome back to Biomara. Like I said, this is a weekly news show where we look at some weird, strange, and just downright odd things. Sorry, my headphones are extremely loud right now, and I'm trying to play it cool, but I'm like going deaf as we speak. Okay, that is much better. It is a normal volume for me. I don't want to hear myself that much, and I'm sorry you have to hear me, but welcome to the show. <laughs> I hope you've had a good week. I almost just spit everywhere. I'm so sorry. Um, I hope you've had a good week. Uh, it is, what is it? This is episode 42 of Biomara. We are almost at episode 50, which means we, we're almost at episode 52, which means that will be one year of this podcast existing. So exciting. I can't wait. It is like, I don't know. I feel like I need to plan something special. So stay tuned. I'm going to have some, some ideas for that. Uh, normally at the start of the show, I do updates. I don't have any related to any of the stories, uh, nor do I really have any for myself. <laughs> it's been pretty boring. We've just been doing all of our house renovation stuff and just kind of staying in with that theme. And of course, when one thing falls apart or you start on one project, it leads to like 700 others. And now our washing machine is not working. So that's something very fun. I know you give so many shits about what I'm talking about. But anyway, that's just been a little like, blech. Um, but we have some exciting travel coming up. We've had a lot of fun shooting with people this uh, past week. And I think that's basically it. Oh, I dyed my hair yesterday. As you can probably tell, it's probably like, whoa, it's like super blonde now. Uh, yeah, I I do it all myself and you can definitely tell. <laughs> Anywho, uh, yeah, I'm just wasting time right now. So let's just get into the show because I don't think I have anything else. Let me think. No, it's been pretty boring. I mean, I don't really want to talk about like all my work stuff just because that's not super interesting. So I think we're just going to get straight into the show. So let's just go. You know I love a good thrift store find, and uh, if you listen to this podcast before, you know that we've talked about, I think, a woman who purchased a series of four Picasso, like very rare Picasso plates. Uh, she bought them for $8 at a thrift store and then was able to sell them for $40,000 while keeping one of the plates for her young daughter. We also talked about an ancient Roman bust that was purchased for $34.99. Uh, still no idea how much uh, that's going to sell for eventually, if it does, depending on what the person decides to do. Well, this week we are taking a look at yet another amazing art historical find, and this I think actually might be one of my favorites. It's just so cute. Uh, so this was purchased in the UK at a UK thrift shop for £2.50 or about $3.30 USD, and it is a small ceramic vase. Now, this might not look like much, but this is actually a very important art historical 
piece of ceramic. This four-inch vase was spotted by a couple who were wandering around a charity shop. One half of the couple, Ahmet, spotted the vase and noticed some etchings on the bottom that he thought might be significant. After some researching, the couple found out that this actually was a vase that was created by uh, Namikawa Yasuyuki, who is one of the most prolific and famous artists of the Meiji period, specifically because of how uh, he would make his pottery and uh, ceramics and things. So he was uh, well-established in the art of cloisonnier, and apologies for mispronunciation, which is a really beautiful method of producing ceramics and pottery. Basically what it is, is you take this, this uh, really thin metal wire, and typically gold, but I think there's also silver that you can do, and you use that to trace the outline of things, and then you fill in the outline of the wire with enamel so then it has like a color to it and everything it's really beautiful it is a very beautiful way of creating ceramics and things and then obviously that's fired in a kiln and then polished and it just looks very beautiful and really pretty and throughout his career Yasuyuki produced a wide variety of different faces and uh like lacquer boxes and things like that so that it's just very beautiful like I'm not really kind of it's not really my style of art I'm like very weird things but you can still tell that this is a very beautiful piece of artwork this particular vase has a really brilliant like gold mouth opening i'm looking at it right now and that leads into this really beautiful like floral repeating pattern around the neck of the vase which is like in a, an assortment of different colors and then the made body of the vase is black and then it has i think a rooster or a chicken or maybe both uh some flowers like various different types of flowers and a few other birds on it so it's like it's very elegant and luxurious but still has a lot of detail to it and you can see the the flecks of gold from the wiring and everything in it it's it's very beautiful I actually wouldn't mind owning something like this especially considering how much of that they are going to be expecting to fetch at auction so the couple that purchased this vase at the thrift store they are selling it at auction where it's supposed to expected rather to fetch almost 12,000 US dollars and the auction is on July 29th so if you want to buy this vase go right ahead. <laughs> the couple also states uh, the couple who found it they state that they're actually going to give some of the proceeds to the charity shop just as a, a generous donation or something like that so I guess that's good uh, but anyway so I guess why I always bring these stories up is just because keep your eyes peeled whenever you're at a thrift store or something like that because you never know what you might find so on to our next story. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's an ultra rare fossilized skeleton of a pteranodon. Duh. <laughs> so there is this really rare, it's like so rare for many different reasons, which we'll talk about in a second, but just Actually, really quickly, what the hell is a pteranodon? So a pteranodon is a winged reptile that lived during the late Cretaceous period, so about 166 million years ago, somewhere in there. This specific creature resided in present-day Kansas, Nebraska, Wyoming, South Dakota, and Alabama. This specimen, though, the one that we're talking about today, was uncovered in Kansas in 2002, and it's actually nicknamed Horus after the ancient ancient Egyptian god Horus, uh, who is like the god of kingship and sun and all that fun, wonderful stuff, sun, S-U-N. Uh, and then he actually had a falcon head. So that is part of the reason why, <laughs> or I would assume the only reason why. On average, pteranodons had a wingspan of at least seven meters or 23 feet. Now, I am five, six or seven, somewhere around there. That would be almost five of me laying down. 
That's huge. That is absolutely insane. I'm really glad we didn't live around that time. (laughs) I'm really glad these aren't flying around anymore because I would lose my shit. Anyway, it would also be a very different story. We wouldn't be as uh, sort of calm as we are. Anyway, so wingspan of about 23 feet and it had a toothless long pelican-like jaw or jaws rather. So very similar to a pterodactyl you're probably thinking, right? Yes, there are a lot of similarities, except the pterodactyl was way smaller, but they both did walk on land. Like, they both have a similar sort of shape, except I think the pterodon has a squishier head, like a softer head, versus the pterodactyl, or I might have reversed those, sorry. Um, and then also, the uh, they both can actually walk on land, or could walk on land with their hands. But also, two of the major differences are that they existed at very different time periods. Like I said, the pterodon existed in the late Cretaceous period, pterodactyls during the Jurassic period, hence Jurassic Park and all that fun, wonderful stuff. Uh, pterodons, like I said, also are much larger than pterodactyls, and pterodactyls actually had teeth. So very different, but also very similar. Uh, so back to the specific fossil, like I said, it's extremely rare, and I want to talk about two reasons why, which they're very related, so just whatever. From the press release by Sotheby's, uh, quote, almost all of the original fossil bones remain essentially unrestored, meaning that artificial filler was not used to replace missing bone sections. So this level of preservation is extremely rare, especially given the size of the actual skeleton. Most of the times when things are this well-preserved, it's like smaller and a lot more compact, but this is like a huge fucking thing. (laughs) What also makes this really rare, though, is that the pterodon their bones are hollow and thin-walled, so a lot of times they actually get crushed, so you don't find entire skeletons. This one, though, is basically entirely intact, which is crazy. Like, it is so cool. So Sotheby's is going to be auctioning off the skeleton on July 26th, and it's estimated to fetch... I'm doing a little drum roll. Somewhere between 4 to $6 million dollars. I don't know if I I think that it should be higher or if it should be lower. I just think that's a crazy amount of money. You also, you know my thoughts on that. It should actually belong in an institution where there could be research done and have public access, but I digress. That is my own my own two cents. So in addition to this pterodon uh, skeleton, Sotheby's is also auctioning off a skeleton of a plesiosaur, which is one of my favorite dinosaurs. Uh, and that was a marine reptile that has like a really long neck, a tiny little head and flippers. And it actually, fun fact, may have inspired the legend of the Loch Ness Monster, Nockless Monster, <laughs> whatever. A Nockless Monster, that would actually be really funny. In like a comic. Anyway, so the plesiosaur is 11 feet long and is estimated to garner between six dollars and $800,000 at auction. Super quick story. Again, like I said, I personally believe that these items should just go to institutions where people can access them publicly and then also for research, but that's just my own two cents. Uh, so if you want to buy a pteranodon or a plesiosaur, head on over to Sotheby's by July 26th. <laughs> okay, on to our last and final story, and this one is really weird and long so just bear with me there is a payoff like i just teased this is a very weird long strange story but there is a payoff i promise it is so bizarre like it it just sounds fake but this happened well okay some of it might okay i'm just gonna talk about it (laughs) So today we are going to talk about, for our final story, a story that involves the Revolutionary War, dead bodies, and IHOP. 
(laughs) This story also is longer than the actual Revolutionary War, which is insane when you hear what this actually is. Okay, so the main kind of character of this story is a guy named Dominic Broccoli. And yes, Broccoli is actually his real last name, possibly of relation to the James Bond Broccoli, but uh, jury's still out, I guess, right there. So... Mr. Broccoli, <laughs> I love that last name. Mr. Broccoli has an entire IHOP empire in upstate New York. He also owns a lot of different property across New York. He has one specific property in Fishkill, which is what is the, the main, and apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. I don't know. I'm an idiot. Uh, but he has property in Fishkill, which, Fishkill, which is what is going to be the central location for this story. Fishkill is about an hour and a half north of Manhattan, and this is where, like I said, Mr. Broccoli wants to put his next IHOP. However, there is a huge problem. Allegedly, this is the site of one of the largest Revolutionary War graves in the country. However, nobody can find it. (laughs) And that also might just not even be factual. There's going to be a lot of he said, she said in the story. It's a little confusing, so just bear with me. I'm going to do my best to break it down. There's a really excellent article that I read about this story that's very comprehensive. Um, So uh, kudos to you who you wrote it. Uh, So anyway, so this is an over decade long feud. This feud has been going on for over 10 years. I think almost over 15 years at this point between Mr. Broccoli, like I said, or Broccoli, and a nonprofit in Fishkill called Friends of the Fishkill Supply Depot, who are dedicated to preserving the town's Revolutionary War history. And I'm very conflicted in this story because you know, obviously, my thoughts on preservation as I was just yelling at people for not to not buy a dinosaur skeleton and everything. I'm actually very conflicted in this story, and you'll learn why uh, as we progress. So the Friends, like I said, it's Broccoli versus the Friends. The Friends believe, based on some evidence, that there are more Revolutionary War soldiers buried on Broccoli's property than anywhere else in the country, anywhere else in New York, anywhere else in Fishkill, anywhere, anywhere. (laughs) Broccoli, though, believes that this is incorrect and that the Friends have actually gone so far as to plant human remains on his property so that he can't build there. Like I said, very juicy story. We're going to get into it. First... Let's start back at the beginning. (laughs) So yes, we're going all the way back to 1776. Fishkill was a, it was a really important part of the American Revolution, but not because any battles were fought there. Actually, no battles were fought there. It was just where the kind of like large supply depot was located. So that was able to give Washington's troops supplies like muskets, shoes, rations, things like that. So like I said, no battles were fought there. Uh, When the war ended, the depot was actually torn down and then the materials for it were just repurposed into other things. So no battles, but people actually did die on the site because there were a couple smallpox uh, epidemics that raged throughout the entire area. So it killed hundreds of soldiers at the time. But nobody knows where these bodies are buried. (laughs) They are somewhere in Fishkill and there are a few different theories as to where. So I'm not going to get into that. That's like a whole separate other story. But basically, there was uh, there have been writings since the 1800s, like post-Civil War, where it's like, oh, they were buried by this black walnut tree or this hill or whatever, which that's like a whole other separate thing. So 1776, we're going to fast forward all the way to 2007 now, when Broccoli, looking to expand his empire, like I said, needed to get a study done of his land before he could start building a strip mall. So he wanted to build a strip mall called Continental Commons that would have an IHOP in it. (laughs) And actually at the IHOP, they would have like colonial style garb and all this silly stuff. Uh, So the New York State Historic Preservation Office demanded that Broccoli get this study done. 
especially because that cemetery was still at large, like I said. So Broccoli hired Bill Sandy, who's an archaeologist, and he's going to be another main player in the story. So you have Broccoli and then uh, Mr. Sandy and then the friends. So Bill Sandy took a look at the land. He didn't really find much initially, but he found a couple small artifacts. I think he found a piece of a wall or something. He found a couple different things, but at the end of the day, no graves until the day after Halloween, November 1st, he found seven graves. He was digging for seven hours. He dug up two feet of dirt, and then he finally found a bone. The bone itself was powdery and in horrible shape, meaning that it was really old, but Sandy kind of was just like, oh, God, it's just like with normal archaeology. Like, you have to stop when you find human remains to see. Is this a crime scene? No. Okay, now I can continue with my work. So he stopped digging, called in the coroner, determined it wasn't a crime scene, so Sandy was back to work. Well, we're kind of going to keep jumping forward a little bit just because otherwise we'll get way too in the weeds with things. A few months later, a different archaeologist was called by Broccoli to do a study of the site. This group of archaeologists, they actually found hundreds of anomalies, quote unquote, uh, that seemed to be similar to the graves that were found by Sandy. So anomalies, very general, not really said that it's a grave, but it was similar to the grave that was found by Sandy. After word got out of these discoveries, Senator Chuck Schumer called for Broccoli to completely halt development on the site, and then he actually... uh, Senator Schumer proposed to have this be a national heritage site through Congress. In the meantime, though, Broccoli wasn't sure what to do with the property and Sandy kept finding bones. It was just like, okay, well, I guess we'll just kind of hang out for a little bit. So fast forward a little bit. Broccoli actually wanted to work with them to figure out what to do with this space. So at the time, he met with then President Lance Ashworth to offer them a lease to half of the acre, or I'm sorry, half an acre of the land that included the graves that were found. And then Broccoli could build his uh, like strip mall on the other half of the property. So it would literally be split 50-50 where you have this heritage site and then a strip mall, which is weird to me, but it does also make sense. So anyway, the friends though, they wanted the entire area of land because you don't know what is going to be underneath it. You don't know what else you could find. And they wanted to turn it into the Fishkill Living Historical Park. I think they were also going to have petting zoos and zip lines and stuff like that, which is really weird to me, but uh, I digress. (laughs) Those are my own thoughts and opinions. So Broccoli then said that he would sell the property to them if they made a reasonable offer. An appraisal was done and the land was appraised at $1.25 million, but Broccoli wanted more money out of the deal. So then the friends, uh, they tried to raise funds, but they had a difficult time because that's just very difficult for any sort of nonprofit to raise funds. Uh, Broccoli, though, this is what's really interesting, which still suggests that they were friends at this point or friendly on friendly terms. Broccoli even allowed them to host a Revolutionary War weekend event on the property in 2014. But then (laughs) this is where things sort of devolved. So then Sandy, the archaeologist, was claiming that Broccoli was damaging some of the graves somehow. It wasn't quite clear. And especially because you're getting people's accounts of different things, it's always going to be a little bit murky. But basically, Broccoli felt attacked by Sandy. And then uh, he was also getting irritated because both Sandy and the friends. So Sandy and the friends were kind of (laughs) Sandy and the friends. That sounds like a 60s band. Uh, They were ganging up on Broccoli to give the land over to them and make it a cultural heritage site, which, you know, I would support. However, I do have mixed feelings about this story. 
So then Broccoli started getting irritated also because they were talking to the media and kind of shit talking Broccoli and just making him sound like this horrible person, even though it does seem like he's actually trying to work with them. Uh, But at the end of the day, he is a businessman, so he needs to make money on things. So anywho, it's just been a battle ever since. So like I said, Broccoli wanted to build this Continental Commons, which would be a strip mall and then have an IHOP in it where people would be dressed in colonial garb. The entire outside, like exterior of it would be designed so it's like faux colonial, so it would match the, the vibe of the area. But he wouldn't build where the graves were found. And actually, he would also make sure that the parking lot was nowhere near the graves that had been found and all these uh, abnormalities or whatever, or anomalies rather, that were found. At this point in the story, though, the friends stopped trying to buy Broccoli's property, I think because they were having so much trouble with trying to fundraise and get enough money and everything like that. And instead, they were trying to block him from building Continental Commons. So they switched their tactics from, oh, yeah, we'll work with you to we're going to attack you until we can take your property away from you. So this goes on for years and years. Broccoli at one point even hires a spy to infiltrate the friends. So this guy, I think his his pseudonym, his pseudonym was Crosby or something like that. He rose through the ranks of the friends because obviously being a nonprofit, you want to have volunteers and you want to have dedicated volunteers. So they were just like, yeah, sure. Sounds good. He rose through the ranks. He was getting all this secret intel. He even got audio of members of the friends asking each other, quote, and this is allegedly true asking quote were you there when we buried dot 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 we buried the bones by the foundation end quote pretty damning evidence i would say (laughs) so during this entire time broccoli had been wondering if the graves were actually fake and if the bone fragments that had been found within these graves were fake and if they were actually set up so hearing this audio that immediately made broccoli feel totally validated and just be like oh okay they are actually trying to plant false evidence supposedly again this is all alleged it's he said she said kind of stuff so uh just take that into account when you're listening to this (laughs) also something else that made broccoli think that you know this was a, a true thing that they were planting evidence was the fact that after all of these years Uh, Sandy, the archaeologist, still had no definitive proof that the original grave he had dug into belonged to a Revolutionary War soldier. It definitely could have been a grave, but it's not necessarily known if it was from specifically the Revolutionary War. Also, this is exacerbated by the fact that some of the bones that Sandy found were actually from deer and they weren't human bones. Let's go back to those hundreds of anomalies that were found allegedly on the site by the other group of researchers. Sorry, this is getting very windy and complicated. Well, Broccoli hired yet another team to look at the site, and it turns out that those weren't graves, allegedly. Again, everybody's operating in their own best interests, so maybe this wasn't actually a team that was on the right side. I don't know. You never know what could be happening, but allegedly that specific team found that these anomalies that were underground were actually just tree stumps, boulders, rodent burrows, but no graves. And at this point, as you can imagine, Broccoli, again, was thinking, okay, they're planting evidence. He even believed at one point that they were tapping his phone. So in 2021, Broccoli even sought to bring a RICO case against the friends. Like I said, this has been going on for over 15 years. Still, no one has any idea or proof of what lies underground, which is so weird to me. Like that just doesn't make any sense. Again, I get it because if Broccoli is trying to keep it hush hush, then you can't have a bunch of people like you cannot. It's weird. Because I would see, I could see how the government would be like, well, no, we need to be able to excavate on this site. But then I don't know. I don't know how complicated or messy it 
It's just very complicated and messy. I have no idea what goes into what. So anyway, where does everything currently stand then? I said that there would be some resolution and there is to some extent. So (laughs) sorry to get you all the way here, but there's a little bit of resolution. Broccoli did actually end up receiving approval from a New York state judge to build Continental Commons, his strip mall, even though the town, Fishkill, completely denied it. As of this spring 2023, Broccoli cut down a large grove of trees that were on the property, and he hopes to start construction this year. So I don't know if he actually has started it. I wasn't able to find any stories that were talking about it. Broccoli does state, though, that this isn't about money or the Continental Commons anymore. Continental? (laughs) He states that this isn't about money or the Continental Commons anymore. Instead, now he believes that he's exposing corruption, which to me, it does sound like he's a little bit paranoid about everything, which rightly so. I mean, this sounds very traumatic to have this stretch on for so long. The friends also feel super dejected by all of this. They didn't have enough money to purchase the property. They had a lot of people leave the actual organization, and they had a spy in their midst who ended up giving secret intel to broccoli their nemesis at this point i'm trying to not take sides too much because at the end of the day i actually don't know who i believe because i can see how it would benefit both sides to have it be in their best interest because i could see the friends being like yay we finally did it and like good for us but then i could also see broccoli who's just like well no they're like planting fake evidence which I have no idea if they would actually go that far. If you make documentaries, you really should make a documentary about this because I'm very confused, but also interested in what actually has happened. So this is one of those stories where I genuinely, genuinely hope that there is some sort of uh, some sort of update soon because I want to know where this goes. As of now, it sounds like Broccoli is building his Continental Commons, so... Maybe we will visit it in person and try to talk to him or something. I don't know. I'm not going to make any promises, but, you know, we'll see, I guess, what happens with that. Uh, It is wild, and I have a lot of thoughts. So, (laughs) anywho, that will do it for this episode of Biomara. Sorry it was a little bit longer, but that was just such a wild story. I I was like, should I talk about it this week? But then I was like, I have to because this is just nuts. Like, there's a lot of intrigue in there. So, anywho, hopefully in the future we can find out more about it. This was Biomara. Please like this episode if you liked it. If you also enjoy the episode or the show, rather, please subscribe. That really does help. And it helps all your creators. So uh, your favorite creators, rather. So if you have anybody that you absolutely love their stuff, subscribe, like it, whatever. uh, That'll do it. So I'm Amara Andrew. Never stop creating. I do want pancakes now.